Chapter 27 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 27 Off the Shelf. I had missed the enjoyment of that bad weather, as one of our workmen called it, when he drew his wages gratis through having too much at the outset. There had been at least six weeks of frost, some of it very intense and it was said by those who make a study of such things that Christmas Day, 1860, was the coldest day known in the south of England since Christmas Day, 1796. And but for a break at the end of the year, when a sudden thaw set in before the steady return of low temperature, it is likely that the Thames would have held an ice fair above London Bridge, as in 1814, and as threatened again in 1838. But the removal of old London Bridge has made perhaps a great difference in that matter. One of the reasons why I could not get rid of the chill that struck into my system was perhaps the renewed attack of cold every night through all that bitter time, for in old-fashioned houses like my uncle's there was no fireplace in the bedrooms, and a frying pan full of hot embers, our tabby's device, used to set us a-coughing. Every now and again I seemed to hear, when I called my wits together, the crisp light glint of the gliding skate, the hollow heel-tap of the glittering slide, and the sharp, merry shouts of boys and men dashing at the hockey-bung in the jagged, slippery huddle. Then more snow fell, and the ice grew treacherous, and all was mantled in a white hush again. But now the days were milder, and the ice had broken up, and the roads were full of quagmires, as they always are, when a long frost has gone to the bottom of their metal, and everybody said that it was very brave of my good Aunt Parslow to pay a guinea for a fly and come all the way from Leatherhead to see if I was still alive. And it was not for the sake of being kept warm on the road, though that was the reason she assigned for it, that she obtained permission from Mr. Chalker to bring his pretty daughter on the visit she was paying. Miss Parslow was long past the age of love-making, and had made a sound investment of her affections among the grateful canine race, but none the less for that she felt an interest in watching the progress, or it might even be the backslidings of her own species in the fine old game, and Sam Henderson had conquered all her prejudice against him by riding over more than once in the worst state of the roads, when no wheels could pass over them, for no other purpose, as he positively avowed, than to comfort her kind heart about her dear nephew's illness. "'Don't tell me,' she said as soon as she had seen me and cried over me a little, for I was desperately weak. "'What he wants is warmth and change of air and particularly careful nursing. He will fall into a decline if he stops here, and then what will become of his darling Kitty? What chance has he here in this wretched little room like a frog or an empty bucket hanging in a well? And here you are giving him gruel and tapioca. Has he ever had a pint of real turtle? Just answer me that, Mr. Orchardson. Well, no, replied my uncle, looking at her with surprise. I never heard that turtle was for any but Lord Mayor's. Kit has had everything regardless of expense that our skilful Dr. Sippets recommended him. Perhaps you know better than he does, Miss Parslow. And the bottles of stuff every two hours, day and night, with half a pint rubbed in at frequent intervals, till he groans, 
and that shows that it has acted on a system. System indeed. There is no system in it except to kill him, in spite of the Barslow constitution. The roads are very soft, but I shall send for him to-morrow with a proper clothes carriage and a pair of horses, and if you try to prevent it, let his death lie at your door. There is no doubt, said my uncle, after some consideration, that your house is much warmer and better fitted up than this with warm baths and all that which he ought to have, and Sippet said that change of air would be a great thing for him. I will see him before you go away, and if he thinks it would be safe, let it be so, ma'am, but you must not suppose that I have grudged him anything, and a very pretty bill there will be for me to pay. Miss Chalker, meanwhile, made a great discovery, to wit that she had never seen Hampton Court, and Sam Henderson, who happened to come in to ask for me, found out that he had business there that very afternoon. So after dining with my uncle, off they set together, and Miss Parslow undertook to call for her companion upon her way back to Leatherhead. Sam had gone up several pages in Mr. Orchardson's good books, by his rescue of me, and even more by his refusal of the handsome reward which he might have claimed for it, and now there were very few days when he did not come down and offer counsel and perhaps bring a hare or rabbit, and my uncle liked his stories of the lords and ladies, even when he was unable to believe them. "'Now I am not going home without a little talk with you,' said Aunt Parslow to her host when the young couple had made off. "'I must be rude enough to ask you just to spare me a little time, and I don't think you can do much on the ground just now.' It must be quite unfit to work, after all the snow and thaw and rain again coming on the top of it, and the land must be so cold that the spring will be very late. You see, I know a little about gardening, too. Will you try to spare me half an hour, as I can come so seldom? I am always at the service of the ladies, however busy I may be. My uncle's answer was truly polite, but not so true in other points. The spring will be very late, and therefore summer will find us all behind. I mean, if we get any summer at all. It is quite likely that we shall not, and that makes it unwise for us to be in any hurry, Mr. Orchardson. You have a special gift of never being in a hurry. We women always envy that way of taking things, because we cannot hope to attain to it. You know what we are, don't you? "'All that is delightful, ma'am, so far as I have had any opportunity of learning. "'And all that is reasonable, wherever there is nothing particular to interfere with it. "'I assure you that I have the highest respect for—for for the way that you generally go on.' "'You pay me a very high compliment, sir, and I wish that we all deserved it. "'But I am sure you will admit that I am reason itself in asking you one or two little questions.' There was a little money that fell in as a sort of windfall, or whatever you call it, to my niece, the mother of this unlucky kit. I scarcely know what the exact sum was, though of course I could easily find out, but it must have been about two thousand pounds. I believe that it came into your possession as his next of kin, but in trust for him, of course, and I conclude that as he has long been of age, "'You have handed it over to Kit himself?' "'Not I, ma'am,' cried my uncle, who was as honest as the day. 
That would have been the worst thing I could do. I have told him of it several times and strongly recommended to him to let me apply it for his benefit. Kid is a sensible and upright fellow, and he knows when he is in good hands, that he does, and he is capable of managing his own affairs without anybody's interference. Without even his uncle's? asked Miss Parslow with a smile. Yes, ma'am, and without even his great-aunt's. "'Mr. Orcherton answered with a frown. "'I have no doubt that you have acted for the best,' "'the lady returned, for she wished to do no harm, "'and saw that it would cost me more than two thousand pounds "'to have Uncle Corney set against me. "'And it is the best thing that could have happened to him "'to come into his capital when he wants it, "'without having had a chance of making any hole in it. "'I dare say he has not the least idea what it is.' and it will be a nice little nest egg when he wants a nest. I have never let him know how much it is, and I do not mean to tell him till I hand it over. I have never touched a penny of it, my dear madam, which I never would have told you if you had shown a doubt of me. I have allowed it to accumulate at four per cent, and the sum is now three thousand five hundred pounds, which will be transferred into the name of Kit on the day that he marries Miss Fairthorne. I should have thought myself justified in deducting the twenty-five pounds reward for his stupidity in losing himself in the snow, but Mr. Henderson will not accept it. I have kept Kit from a baby, and he was dreadful with his clothes and broke the backs of nearly all the books he had at school. But I shall not charge him sixpence, ma'am. He has worked well for me, and he can lay in a tree very nearly as well as I can. "'Mr. Orchardson, you are a gentleman,' cried my aunt, much impressed with the increase of money, "'and I would ask you as a favour in return for my inquiries to allow me to discharge Dr. Sippet's account.' "'With pleasure, Miss Parslow, for it will be very stiff, and the uphill time of the year is before me. I do not pretend to be a gentleman, madam, but I should not be a man if I wronged my brother's baby.' The only thing I ask you is to keep this from Kit's knowledge and leave me to tell him in my own time. I have hinted to him once or twice that he has something coming, but if I were to tell him he would go and tell his kitty and I wish it to be kept from all that lot. He shall not know a word of it through me, I can assure you, and I shall consider what I can do for them, but the first thing is to set him on his legs again. At this very moment I was being set by a happy little accident upon my legs, as well as enjoying a delight which no money at the finest compound interest can ensure. In the corner of the room, which my aunt had so decried, and where I had passed so many miserable weeks, an old wooden bracket with three little shells was nailed against the yellow ochred wall. I had often cast my weary eyes in that direction, and vaguely watched a spider who was in a doleful plight, with his legs drawn together and no stomach left between them. Such a time was it since he had tasted a good fly. On the bottom shelf were bottles of a loathsome disposition, pill-boxes and galley-pots, and measures no less repulsive to good taste. On the middle shelf lay my mother's prayer-book, and some papers of directions and orders and powders and the like, but what was on the top shelf I could not tell, and it often wandered languidly in the wanderings of hazy speculation. And I might have been content to wander still, 
without any guidepost of interest, if I had not heard Miss Parslow say, Ah, that would do him a lot more good than those, as she pointed to the top shelf and then to the others. For a time I forgot all about it and fell into a little sleep of indifference, but being aroused by the sound of plates and dishes and the clanking of glasses down below, I longed to know what they were having for dinner, and what was the joke they were laughing at. Then a lovely smell of something came into the room, and my head went round with the effort of searching itself for a name of that fragrance, although it was nothing but fried calf's liver, with which Mrs. Tapscott was skillful. Shall I ever have that again instead of filthy nastiness was all that I had sense enough to want to know, and then I thought somehow of the starving spider and looked to ask whether he was dead yet. Not only was he not dead, but clearly, after seeing rain once more upon the window panes, he made up his mind that life was worth living, and a little activity might make it more so. Where he got his stuff from is more than I can tell, for any man would have vowed that his meagre body could never have supplied him with a hundredth part of the dreamiest film of a gossamer. However, he knew his own business best, and he was at it as if he were paid by the peace. Being hungry myself, I could sympathize with him, while detesting his bloodthirstiness, as every man must do who lives on beef and mutton, and I saw that he was scheming to attach his tent cords to a coin of great vantage on the top shelf of the bracket. When spiders go thrumming, there is wild weather coming, came clumsily into my half-saved mind, and then floated into it like a gossamer adrift those mysterious words of Aunt Parslow. Like the spider, I desired to be on the move, and partly, perhaps, through the very same cause, the yearning for a wholesome pit of flesh. At any rate, being left all alone for the resources of the establishment were at full pressure upon hospitality, I resolved to know what was on that shelf, though it might be my destiny to perish in the attempt. This was not at all an easy job for a fellow who had spent two months on his back, and my weakness amazed me when I tried to walk, and I seemed to be twice my own proper length. Then I burst into a laugh at my own condition and tried to move a little chair to help me get along, but found it made of lead and had to coast around it. My sense of distance was also entirely thrown out, for the room was quite a little one, and yet it seemed a gallery. At last, by some process of sprawling and crawling, I laid hold of the corner bracket, and lifting myself with some difficulty, contrived to grasp all that was on the top shelf. A little pile of letters was in my right hand, and a light shot into my eyes and a gleam of soft warmth flowed into my heart. Then I crawled back to my narrow bed, so nearly exchanged for a narrower, and lay my treasure on my shrunken breast, and turned on my side that it might not slide away. I felt as if there were two kits now, one who knew nothing about it, and the other who wanted it all to himself, and perhaps that other kit was Kitty. How long I continued in this crazed condition it is impossible for me to say, but as sure as the goodness of God is with us, it saved my reason and my life, for by and by a warmth of blood flowed through me, and a sense of being in a large sweet world, then memory awoke, and pain was gone, and it was like a little child looking at its mother. 
I did not read a word nor care to read, but I knew whose hand was on my heart, and I would not disturb it by a stir of thought, but was satisfied with it, for it was everything. And so I fell into a long, deep sleep, and when I awoke, I was a man again. End of chapter 27